What do you get when you mix someone who loves true crime and horror movies with someone who's afraid of their own shadow? Someone like you? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. You get the perfect podcast. We're Carmen and Joanna of Live, Laugh, Murder podcast. We're not your typical true crime show. Here at Live, Laugh, Murder, we tell stories that might be true crime or they might be the plot of a horror film. Can you tell the difference? Don't worry, though, because all is revealed by the end. We are true crime sometimes. So check us out. We release bi-weekly on Saturdays. And remember to live, laugh, but never what, Joanna? Murder. Never murder. Thanks, guys. Thanks. everybody welcome back this is episode 75 of true crime bnb and guess what today i have a friend of mine carmen from live laugh murder is joining us today as our second guest host hello i'm so happy to be here thank you so much carmen i think anybody who listens to true crime bnb probably is already familiar with live laugh murder because you are very popular amongst the masses and i love your show but in case there's anybody here who is not familiar with you can you please just kind of fill us in on what your podcast is about absolutely and that's funny that you say that because i feel like i love your show i'm always posting about it i know that people who listen to my show also know very well about you yeah so i'm carmen and i'm half of my duo at live laugh murder my co-host joanna and i have the show together but she couldn't be here today anyway so our podcast is true crime sometimes so what we do is we tell stories that are told in a narrative fiction style that could either be the plot of a horror movie or the facts of a true crime case. So typically about halfway through the show near the end, I give that opportunity for you to kind of say what you think it is. Is it real? Is it fact? Is it fiction? And then I reveal the truth and then give the rest of the details after that. So it's a good way to test your horror movie and true crime knowledge. I think it's actually a really good entry point for anybody who either likes true crime or likes horror movies because if you are familiar with a lot of horror movies, you're going to be like, that sounds familiar. Have I seen mm-hmm. that? And if mm-hmm. you are a true crime person, then you're like, was that a case <laughs> I read about? I loved it from the very beginning. And I have been following you the whole time. And we actually have talked a lot over the last year and a half. And I'm really surprised we have not managed to get a little collaboration underway up until today. But I'm really, really happy that you're here. Me too. It took way too long for us to get here because we've been friends for, like you said, over a year. But hey, we're here now. And not only that, but sweet little Carmen is our bad guy today. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and take it away, Carmen? Good. I'm ready. Today, I'm going to tell you about a man named Ryan Waller who went through an experience that some might call too crazy to be true. Now, as I continue, I'm going to tell you the story. This is true crime. This is not the style of my podcast where it could be a horror movie. This is true crime. So let that out there. Ryan was born February 12th, 1988, and as an adult was living in Phoenix, Arizona. He and his girlfriend, Heather Kwan, had a place together and all was fine until it wasn't. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. In December of 2006, on Christmas Day, Ryan and Heather were preparing to have dinner with Ryan's dad, but they never showed up. When Ryan wasn't answering the phone, his dad, Don Waller, became super concerned, as we all would. So what would you do if your kid didn't answer and it's Christmas and you're like, what the heck? Sure, I would be very concerned. And of course, anybody would. Of course. Don went ahead and drove over to their house, knocked on the door, rang the bell. But he thought they just weren't home and he couldn't get inside the house, you know. So he later ended up calling the police to do a welfare check on his son. So at about 11 p.m. Christmas evening, Phoenix Police Department showed up to Ryan's place, knocked on the door. You know, after a little while, a timid and clearly beat up Ryan cautiously opened the front door. Oh, wow. His face, Beth, was jacked up. He was he was a mess. He had a gnarly black eye that was severely swollen on the left side. His nose was cut up. He looked like he had been in a bad fight and received the beating of a lifetime. It sounds like he did get the beating of a lifetime. Right. As far as how he was acting, Ryan was not himself. He was very disoriented and told police he didn't know how his face got so messed up. They asked him, I don't, he said, I don't know. So once inside the home, police could see a woman lying on the couch. 
Ryan said that was Heather and that she was asleep and that she had been asleep on the couch for days. Heather was not asleep. Heather was dead by a bullet wound to the head. Holy cow. Holy cow. I mean, you told me, Beth, I was going to be the bad guy or I told you I'd be the bad guy. I went for it. Okay. <laughs> well, that is that is pretty bad. A bullet to yeah. the head and a guy beaten up beyond all recognition. Of course. So Phoenix police quickly assumed that Ryan was guilty of shooting and killing Heather. And he was immediately arrested and treated as a primary suspect for Heather's murder. Ryan was placed in a police vehicle for several hours as the crime scene could be investigated. Then he was taken to the police station for further interrogation. During his interrogation, a very confused Ryan tried to answer questions to the best of his ability, but they all came out wrong or misleading or as lies, and he just made no sense. Were the police making any kind of guess as to how he got so injured if she had just been sleeping on the couch and got a bullet to the head? Yeah, they're assuming he? that he they maybe got into a fight. Maybe she beat him and he shot her. That's what they think. Okay. If she didn't okay. have any other injuries, that sounds far-fetched, no. but I am all ears. Well, you know it is far-fetched. So as time went on, his answers in the interrogation made less and less sense. For example, when he was read his rights, Ryan said he didn't know what those were. He didn't, didn't know, know what, what rights were. He didn't yeah. know what his actual rights were. When he's told that, I'm, you know, we're going to read you your rights, he didn't know what that was. The cop asked, Ryan, have you ever seen a cop show before? Have you ever seen people get arrested? You, you know, I got to read you your rights. And Ryan replied, no, never seen that. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wow. He, just so out of it. He also answered with a no when asked if he had a girlfriend. No, I don't have a girlfriend. And the girl on his couch was his girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. When detectives asked, what's Heather's last name? Ryan replies, who? The girl that lives there? Just He didn't confused. remember that that was Heather? Not a clue. He was so confused. Clearly more, something traumatic has happened to his memory. You are spot on. And more importantly, when asked about his injuries to his face and how that happened, he said he didn't know how that happened. During the hours that have passed from picking up Ryan Waller to now, he received no medical attention, and that's important to know. So even though he was beaten up so badly, they didn't even have EMS look at him to see if he had a concussion or yep. anything like that? Yep. All, so from picking him up, sitting in the cop car while detectives came in to search the home, in the interrogation, hours have passed. Hours, like four hours or more. Wow. Okay. So one might think, based on what I've told you, this guy got into a fight. Maybe his girlfriend, like I said, beat him up during a struggle. He shot and killed her, and he's acting strange now to avoid telling the truth. This is what at least the detectives believe, lie after lie. Mm -hmm. Or there could be another angle here, which, of course, there is. Because somehow, Ryan was able to say in his, for lack of a better word, in his stupor, if you will, that the wound on his left eye was not from a punch or a hit. Ryan says... Quote, I was shot in the face. Could they not look at him and tell if he was shot in the face? Yeah, yeah, they were looking right at him. So another lie, according to police, because as they said, there's no way he'd be alive if he was shot in the face. Plus, they've been sitting right in front of Ryan for hours and would surely notice a gunshot wound right there in front of them. That's what Wouldn't I'm thinking. They? And I would think he would be bleeding, just have blood just exactly. pouring out of his face. Right. It turns out Ryan was not lying. He had been sitting there with no medical attention, confused, hurt, disoriented, with an actual gunshot wound in his eye. Oh, wow. In Isn't his that... eye or just like passing by his eye? No, no, no. In his eye, I'll tell you. It's, he was shot in the face. Holy With shit. a gun. It's wild. Oh, wow. That's, <sighs> that's horrifying. It's horrifying. Ryan was slowly deteriorating as each minute ticked on, as you can imagine. Right. He somehow, during the interrogation, was able to articulate that Richie and his dad came over and hit Heather and himself with bows and arrows. Okay. So are we thinking that this is a brain injury talking? Yeah. And as he was continuing his answers to these questions, he kept saying that his head was hurting. So it was a brain injury 100% because he was shot. Ryan was trying his absolute best to give clear and concise answers to police, but he physically, Beth, could not because right. as police would learn, he had a bullet lodged in his head. Right. I mean, once they realized he had been shot in the face, mm -hmm. 
I would think all the rest of that follows behind it. And the brain injury, even, you know, I don't know what the Richie and the bows and arrows thing is, but even if it's made up, it's because of his brain injury. Yep. He has a bullet in his his head. It's there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a freak. It's bizarre. Yes. That's the perfect word. This whole thing, it's just tragic. His interrogation is available on YouTube, parts of it. I watched a little bit of it and... It was really, really hard to watch. I couldn't sit through all of it because I was just, it just made me sick to my stomach knowing what I know. So he's obviously in pain in the video. And when he's alone in the room, you see him put his head down a lot. He moans a lot as if he's in pain. And his face, right? And his face is worse than I described. It looks sick. It's worse than any horror movie, you know? It's shocking. That poor guy. I know. So knowing what we know now, you can clearly see how uncomfortable he is and confused. Many of his answers don't make sense. So when I was watching it, he says, I don't know constantly. He sounds like a little kid, like a 12-year-old who's in trouble. When it's like, you know, who ate all the ice cream? I don't know. Every other answer, I don't know. Beth ate all the ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he says, I just want to go home to questions. And it's hard to watch because you see the officer being like, you're not going home because they think he's guilty. Right. Ryan is clearly agitated because his answers don't make sense. And you can tell that he knows he's not making any sense. So he's getting frustrated. It's like a stroke victim. Yes. It's like, you know, they know what they're saying isn't what they want to say, but they can't fix it. Yes. Yes. So finally in the YouTube video, you can see firefighters come in, look at him and start to check his vitals because the officer like you said, was looking at him and gave him a really good look. His eye was so swollen shut, you really couldn't see that it was a gunshot wound. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. But he was, right, but he was clearly fucked up. So it's like, come on, get him some attention. Well, they do. Firefighters come in. And when the firefighters say, come on, and Ryan stands up to walk, Ryan says, and you can hear them in the background leaving the room, Ryan says, where are we going? And as they're walking out of the interrogation room, you hear a firefighter say, we're going to the hospital, man. You look like you just got shot in the face. Oh, wow. It's so chilling. So this was before or after they knew he had been shot in the face? Now after. This is now after. Okay. I thought maybe we were seeing foreshadowing from the firefighter. (laughs) No, I know, right? No, no, no. This was after the police officer, the investigator, whatever, finally looked at him and Ryan kept saying, I'm in pain, my head hurts, I was shot. And then he realizes, wait a second, maybe you, maybe he was shot kind yeah, of thing. So they're basically just torturing this guy. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Once at the hospital, Ryan's left eye would be removed along Oof. with pieces of his brain due to the gunshot wounds. God, there was, that... yep, there was kind of a ricochet that happened with the nose inside and it got lodged. And he would go on to suffer from seizures and irreversible brain damage for the rest of his life. That's horrible. But it is. It's really sad. It's just chilling. That YouTube video, it just gave me the the creeps watching it. I felt like I was invading on a personal thing. Right, like a medical emergency. Yes, and I couldn't do anything about it. So let's talk about how we got here and what really happened on that day. So on Christmas Day, Heather and Ryan were at their house that they were renting, and they were getting ready, like I said, to head out for dinner with his dad. When they heard a knock at the door, Ryan, knowing who the person was knocking, hesitantly opened it when he was suddenly ambushed by Ryan's former roommate, Richie Lee Carver, along with Richie's father, Larry Lloyd Carver. He said in his state, he said Richie and his dad came in with bows and arrows. So they were not bows and arrows. Okay. No. I think you know. (laughs) Yes. Well, Richie and his dad, they forced their way inside. And when Ryan tried to close the front door, Richie put his arm inside and shot Ryan in the head twice. Oh, my God. So why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Here we go. Oh, all right. All right. Really, the reason is stupid. There is no good reason here. There never is. There never is a good reason. Right. Richie and Larry were not wielding bows and arrows, as Ryan thought. They were wielding guns. It is said that they did this. Now... I didn't watch the trial or anything like that. I don't even know if you can. So I'm going to say it is said, allegedly, that they did this because Ryan had previously evicted Richie once they were roommates in the past. Okay. Richie lived there. So once he started giving Heather the creeps, his girlfriend, Ryan kicked him out. Okay. So this does make more sense because it's the little ego thing again. You know, a man that can't be told he can't do anything he wants in the world. 
Oh, how dare they? <laughs> yeah. How dare you tell me no? How dare you throw me out for mm-hmm. acting inappropriately towards your girlfriend? Yeah, exactly. So he was pissed off and thought he had the right to break in, shoot Ryan, and he brought his dad along to help him out, shoot and kill Heather, who had been on the couch. And it had not been days that she'd been there. It only been that evening, but Ryan was so confused when the cops came. And can we just talk for one second about, okay, so on your episode about the secret, these parents did all this Mm. stuff to -hmm. cover up for their kid. And in real life, these parents often do. They they help their kids commit crimes or they yes. help them cover them up. What? Why? What, it what makes is wrong with sense. people? Why would you what? do that? Listen, that should be the name of our sh- What is wrong with people? Yes. <laughs> For sure. I agree. Oh, okay. Yep. So it is said that they shot Heather to avoid having any witnesses of the crime that they were meaning just to kill Ryan and not just kill him. They went on and stole his computer. They stole his weapons that he had. And they just basically robbed the home as well. And they fled the scene. So when Ryan came to later, now think about it. The home invasion just happened. They took off. Ryan's there in the house. Heather's there, passed away. And so when he comes to in his house, supposedly it said that he wandered around. And so sad. He wandered around his home aimlessly, not understanding what was going on. Poor guy. He wasn't understanding what he was seeing, what the pain was that he was feeling until he heard a knock at the door and answered it to see police officers standing there. And that brings us up to speed. So after the truth came out and after his surgeries, Ryan could no longer take care of himself. Oh, poor guy. No, he spent 35 days in the hospital. His parents had to become his caretakers and his parents felt that the investigation was grossly mishandled. Well, obviously, I mean, even just the interrogation was grossly mishandled. A hundred percent. They claim that Detective Dalton tampered with evidence and created his own narrative about the case. Now, Don, which was Ryan's dad, he filed a $15 million lawsuit against the Phoenix Police Department and the city of Phoenix due to negligence, but it was later dismissed with the city of Phoenix saying that the delay in medical attention to Ryan didn't have a significant impact on his condition. Well, that may or may not be the case, but they still tortured mm-hmm. a guy who had been a victim of a crime. Let me, and I'm sorry if I keep jumping around on things. Was the goal of this crime to kill Ryan or was the goal of the crime to rob Ryan? So from when I was looking into it, it feels like they were definitely unhinged, Richie. And the goal was to get him back for kicking him out and to shoot him, you know, kill him and take his stuff, take his weapons, his guns, his computer, steal whatever they could and get out of there and never get caught. That's what they thought they they were doing. If they had not shot him, Mm -hmm. then they could have just gone in there when nobody was home and taken the stuff. You and I are never going to be able to rationalize with these kind of people. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do. And it, and it makes you wonder, was this Richie's first time? If he so easily came in and shot him? Probably I not. I doubt that. I doubt right? it. People like that don't just start. I think yeah. I'll just go shoot two people and steal yeah. all their stuff. But, you know, yesterday I wouldn't have shoplifted a piece of gum. You can almost picture a scene in your head where you could feel like, and I'm making this up, this is not real, but I feel like I could see Ryan kicking him out. You got to get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. You're creeping out my girlfriend. And Richie saying, I'm going to get you for this. You don't treat me like this. And yeah, to me, but- that's how I've worked it up. The guy who does wrong and then is rebuffed for doing wrong is always the guy who thinks everybody else needs to pay. Don't be a creepy asshole and you don't get thrown out. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, let me tell you what happened with Richie then and his dad. So Richie Lee Carver ended up getting arrested and charged with felony murder, aggravated assault, burglary, and misconduct involving weapons and is serving life in prison without parole. Good. Yep. His father, Larry Lloyd Carver, was charged with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, burglary, and aggravated assault, and he was eventually convicted and sentenced to prison as well. And I say eventually because he was able to stay out of it for years. And it took his, I think it had to do with the alibi, and it took his wife having to testify against him, and a new law called Heather's Law was created to allow her to testify against her husband, which then ended up getting him convicted. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So 10 years later, sadly, and this is me being the bad guy here, 10 years after the incident on January 20th, 2016, Ryan Waller passed away from a seizure caused by his traumatic brain injuries. Mm, that poor guy. I that know. poor guy. He lost his life, basically. Yep. They basically killed him the day he was shot. They did. All he had was 
suffering between the time he was shot and the time he finally passed away from his seizure. Yeah. Now, Heather, I wasn't able to find much on Heather because every time I would look and research this, everything focuses on Ryan and his wrongful accusation because it's more of a sensationalized story. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot about her, but I did find a memorial for her that I'd like to read that was published by the Arizona Republic that I think was just a nice way to kind of say something about her too. So this was published in January of 2007, so right after the murder. Heather Marie Kwan, 21, of Glendale, Arizona, passed away December 25th, 2006. Heather was a 2003 graduate of Mountain Ridge High School. She completed her education at Glendale Community College, was a student at ASU, and planned to attend law school. She aspired to become a defense attorney. Heather volunteered as a big sister with the Valley Big Brothers Big Sisters program. From a very young age, Heather seemed to sense when another was hurting and gave her friendship to those who needed it most. She was a strong-willed individual who not only lived life, but loved it. Heather is survived by her mother and father, Terry Den Dolk, and Robert Kwan, her brother Andrew Kwan, her grandmother and aunts, uncles, and cousins who will deeply miss her. Her family mourned her loss and celebrated her life in a private service and would like to thank everyone for their thoughts and prayers. She sounds like a really sweet, smart person and what a loss, what a loss that she was stolen like that. I wonder if, if she had experienced something like this and then survived it, if she still would have wanted to be a defense attorney. Could you imagine? Oh, you just gave me the chill saying that. That's so true. Because I wonder, you know, if you could, if you go through something like this, are you ever really going to side with the accused again? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Defense attorneys have a tough job. I don't know that I could do it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I could do it to the level that you're supposed to pursue their defense, because if I thought they were guilty, I would really have an ethical dilemma inside my heart. Oh, yeah. I know. (sighs) I know I couldn't. You know, as you went through that story, I, it started to kind of sound familiar, but I did not remember the story to mm-hmm. the level that you told it. And I'm really glad that you brought that today because that's that's just tragic. Both of them, really. Yeah, it's awful. Well, I mean, how'd I do as a bad guy? You are a bad guy. You're a definite <laughs> bad guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. I know, but everybody wants to be the bad guy, but then they're like, I'm sorry. I was the bad guy. But But then you feel so dirty. (laughs) You know, those people deserve to be remembered. Yep. And stories like this, especially with two innocent people who did nothing wrong. That's right. Yep. Well, thank you, Carmen. I didn't like your story because that was terrible. Of course. (laughs) But you did a really good job telling it. (laughs) Oh, I understand. Thank you. I get it. Despite all the interruptions from moi. So would you like me to bring you a different story that at least has a positive ending? Please. Yes. Okay. So I'm taking us to Australia. Ooh. Rachel Godsell was born in New Zealand in 1972. And there's not a lot of information about her childhood because this is a survivor story. And a lot mm-hmm. of the time in survivor stories, you don't hear anything about their past or their, their life after the case happened because sometimes they just don't want to give that information out. Mm-hmm. Rachel was born in New Zealand in 1972. Once a Kiwi, always a Kiwi, but she had relocated to Perth, Western Australia in the 1990s where she had a daughter and a son and laid down her roots. Rachel was one of those people who could talk to anybody. She was open and friendly, funny and outgoing. She was a hard worker as the job she did to support her family through her work as a cleaner at a mine was not for the prissy or the soft. Definitely But Rachel's heart was kind and loving and gentle. She loved her daughter, Kaya. She loved her son, Tane. But she was absolutely enamored of her little granddaughter, Koda. Isn't that a cute name? Yeah. Because her work was far away from Perth, the mines are way out of the city, the shifts were arranged so that she would be on site working for two weeks at a time, then home for a week. From her home, she would take a taxi or a ride share to the airport, fly to the mine, work her two weeks, and then fly home and take another cab back home. It was Mm. grueling. It was hard work and the schedule was complicated. Plus, being away from home for weeks at a time is... For me, that would be mentally exhausting as well. Mm -hmm. Same, yeah. Rachel had been trying to date for some time, but even though she met some nice men, the work schedule at the mine was just a deal breaker for most of them. In 2008, 36-year-old Rachel met 33-year-old Brad Peterson on a dating website 
And when they met, she instantly knew she wanted to be with him. Hmm. They had great chemistry and they both felt it. He was tall and muscular, handsome, a big imposing guy. She loved his smile and he had gorgeous eyes. They made each other laugh and loved one another's humor. Rachel was head over heels for Brad. Also, he worked in the mines too, so he understood her crazy, challenging work schedule. Yeah, I'd say. By 2017, Rachel had been dating Brad Peterson now for nine years. When he was good, he was good. When he was feeling secure in the relationship, he was happy. When Brad was happy, Rachel was happy. She felt Uh safe wrapped in his arms. She had wanted that to last forever. The first time Rachel saw a different side of Brad was three months into dating. They went together to a pub. A strange man asked Brad if he would mind if Rachel played a game of pool with him. Brad said, okay, whatever. And Rachel took this to mean it didn't bother him. But Mm -hmm. it was kind of a trap. To Rachel, this was just a harmless game of pool, meaning nothing, with no strings attached. And she said, okay, let's play pool. While Rachel got ready to play this game of pool against a man she didn't expect she'd ever even see again, Brad went outside to her car and tore the inside of the car to shreds. Oh, come on, Brad. Yeah, grow up. Realizing that he had left the pub, Rachel finished her game and then followed him outside and got in the car with him. She asked him, what was he doing? What was the problem? She didn't realize then that she couldn't talk reason to him. They Mm. fought all the way back to Brad's place and then went inside. Standing in front of him, he backhanded her right in the face. She was shocked. She got a big black eye from that assault. She did love him, and although it broke her heart when he would become abusive, she didn't want to leave him. Hmm. The times he actually physically assaulted her were only a handful, but the mental abuse was more the norm. When Brad's jealousy started to rear up, he would get controlling, he was angry, he was surly. She would tell him she was exhausted with having to defend herself when she hadn't done anything wrong. I'm sure he, that's... You're just going along, you're doing the right thing by your partner, and all the time they're accusing, 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 suspecting, suspecting. You can't do anything right. Yeah, No, you you can't. can't. It's really, it's terrifying, it's scary, and it's a cycle that is very hard to break. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because on one hand, if they... If they don't trust you, why do they want to be with you? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they won't let you go. So exactly. back to Brad. So after she would tell him how exhausted she was, how she hadn't done anything wrong, that he was the one she wanted to be with, that she was doing right by him, he would then apologize and tell her he'd been hurt in the past, so he was insecure. And then mm. he would get all loving and sweet again, and she would melt and forgive him. And I think you know, that happens in a lot of relationships. I think so too. I almost think I was talking about this today, funnily enough, about a totally different scenario with people that I know. And I almost feel like there's like a, that high they get after making up from their fight is so strong. And they think it's like they're, it's that I'm just now dated someone butterflies feeling. I feel like that they get, and I have not been a victim of abuse or domestic abuse, thankfully, but I've seen this and they get this high off of it and they think it's going to be like this forever until it's not. Right. And then it goes right back again to the down and then it goes back to the up and it's just this constant, oh, constant it cycle. It's like a bipolar relationship where it's way in the dumps and then it's way on top of the world and it's yes. It's not sustainable. No, that's the perfect word. Nope. So after he starts showing his loving side and she melts and forgives him, a week again after that, he would get back into his dark mood and start cornering her. He would scream in her face that she was useless. She was nothing but a whore, that no woman working Mm. at the mines around 3,000 men was not getting up to something. Mm. She was pretty. She was fit. She was funny and outgoing. And his insecurities told him he wasn't the only man who would notice her. So he Mm. assumed that if men were interested in her, that she was going to obviously return that interest. But that wasn't the case at all. Rachel was open with him. She was honest with him. She had no interest in dating anyone else or doing anything else with these men at the mines. She was with him and him only. Mm -hmm. She wanted the relationship the way she knew it sometimes was. But Brad didn't get better. The abuse didn't stop. She had been thinking for some time about ending this relationship, but she'd been avoiding the confrontation. She knew that it could get ugly and she just wasn't looking forward to that conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And after nine years, at this point, she certainly, in her mind, has figured out, I can't do this forever. Nine years? Nine years. Wow. On Monday, October 30th, 2017, 
Rachel had finished working her shift at the mine, dreading returning to Seville Grove in the southern suburbs of Perth, where she lived. She had braced herself to finally speak up and end the relationship, but because she worried about a violent outburst, she did it right before she got on the flight. The flight landed, she went outside to catch a ride home, got in an Uber, and noticed that her car, with Brad inside it, was in the line of rideshares. He was there hmm. waiting to see her when she got off the plane. She stayed in the Uber, did not get out and go see him. She was hoping to get home before he left the airport and got back to the house. But when the driver pulled up to her house, she saw that her car again was already there and Brad was already up at the house. So scary. she's just returning home. She went inside. Yeah, it's very scary. Oh, It is. He comes up to her and he says, so that's it, is it? Knowing that this might be a very dangerous situation for her, Rachel had had to muster all of her courage to even say the words, yeah, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. The two began arguing viciously, and in the middle of it, Rachel pulled out a piece of luggage from a closet and told him, just go. She said, I've done this for nine years, and you're not going to change. You don't trust me, so what is the point? Mm -hmm. She could see the rage building up in him and tried to make it out the front door, but was trapped because he had locked it. She was very uncomfortable. She knew she was in danger, but she couldn't get out the door. So she walked back into the living room. But still, she was shocked when he hauled off and slapped her hard in the mouth. Ugh. He hit her so brutally hard that it felt as if her jaw was dislocated. She fell over. He ordered her to get up and get back to the guest room. He closed all of the window shades in the whole house. He came back into the guest room and he took a mattress and leaned it up against the window in the guest room, sat Rachel down on the floor, and then went out of the room and returned with a backpack. Oh. He then grabbed her, tied her up with zip ties, and shoved dirty work socks into her mouth, then duct taped over it so she couldn't make any noise and she couldn't spit the socks out. Oh my gosh. Just imagine, dirty, nasty work socks crammed into your mouth. That, oh. I always think of this when I hear about people getting duct tape put over their mouths. When I'm upset, I don't know if I cry automatically, but I know mm -hmm. my nose runs. Yes. And when your nose runs, it stuffs up. How do these people not suffocate? I know. And that the fabric that socks are made of is such a oddly specific thing, but that to be on your tongue and stuck in your, oh gosh. Yeah. Because they would just suck all the moisture out of your mouth and yeah. you would just, you'd feel like you were drying out and choking. Oh, hey, cheers. I'm drinking water. Cheers to you. <laughs> Me too. Maybe not after this. Maybe I'll be switching <laughs> some red wine. <laughs> that seems like a good plan. Yeah. Rachel's heart raced, thinking this time he was so far out of control that he might actually end her life. He had yeah. never tied her up like this before, so obviously this is a different situation entirely. The most obvious way that he could have ended her life, where he had sat her down on the floor, was right next to the weight set, and she feared that he was going to bludgeon her with one of the free weights. Oh my gosh. He wrapped a duna, which is an Australian slang term for a duvet or a quilt around her. He confiscated her phone and her car keys, and then he carried her out to the car, because she couldn't walk because her feet are zip-tied together. Hmm. When he stuffed her on the floor in the back seat of her car and started driving away, naturally, her mind was racing. Where was he taking her? What was he going to do to her when they got there? Hmm. What could she try to do to get out of this? They drove for a while. When the car finally stopped, Brad grabbed Rachel up from the floor of the car, ripped the duct tape off of her face, and she saw that he had driven them out into the bushland. Oh, hell no. Yep. Oh, she no. Realized no one knew where she was, and he knew no one was going to be around to see whatever might happen next. No. Oh, no. First, he interrogated her, told her, just admit it, she'd been cheating on him with all the guys at the mines. Yeah, right. She right. insisted that had never been true and asked him why the hell he was doing this. Then he shoved three pills into her mouth and made her swallow <sighs> them with water. Oh, my God. His plan was to kill her there and then himself. He used a hose he found in a trash pile where he'd stopped and connected it to the exhaust and then fished it through <gasps> the car into the seating compartment of the car. She begged him not to kill them both with carbon monoxide. She told him she just wanted to see her four-year-old granddaughter again. Aww. But still, he turned on the car, letting it run while Rachel began coughing. She tried again to reason with him. She told him he was the only one that she had wanted to be with, that she only loved him. 
that he was wrong to think she would ever run around on him. That just wasn't who she was. Mm-hmm. So then his heart kind of started to soften to this, like it always did when she would tell him how much she loved him. So then he lifted her out of the car and sat her outside. But because he said he wasn't going to go to prison for what he had already done to her, he Mm -hmm. put himself back in the car and turned on the engine again. Because Rachel really did care about him, even though he had this abusive side. She now begged him not to kill himself either. She asked him to please just take her home. She said she wouldn't leave him. She said she wouldn't call the police. Mm Mm-hmm. He picked her up again, put her back in the car, and drove them both back to the home. When they arrived, he held onto her mobile phone and her car keys and warned her what was going to happen if she tried to call the police or get any kind of help. By now, of course, the sleeping pills were making her extremely drowsy, so he just let her get into bed and go to sleep. I forgot about that part. Yeah, I did too for a while. Yeah. When she awoke on Tuesday, October 31st, she was sore, tired, she was frightened, It was before dawn and Brad was standing over her in the very early morning light and he told her he was sorry and hadn't meant to hurt her. Well, they always say they're sorry and they never meant to hurt you, but they just do it again the next time. Yeah, I just zip tied you, made you choke on pills. But I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. Then they break down and cry and make you feel bad for them. No. Yeah. I'm just a vulnerable soul. I'm a mess. I'm sorry. Forgive Mm -hmm. me. That makes it all okay. Yeah. Rachel went outside and Brad came out asking what she was doing out there. She said she wanted to go see her daughter, Kaya, and he said she couldn't because she looked like crap. Then he reminded her that she had promised to stay with him and not call the police. Oh my gosh. Her response to that was, you tied me up and took me out to the bush. What the hell? Yeah. She had hoped he was going to calm down and be reasonable, but the calm he was showing her this morning was unnerving. It was like he was a robot now. Mm-hmm. She asked for the car keys so she could go see her daughter and slowly started walking out through the garden gate. He told her to just go inside and take a shower. She started to walk back in through the gate and suddenly he was knocking her down and on top of her on the ground. Again. He was kneeling on her, holding her down. He had that same backpack again. He reached into the backpack and Rachel tried to kick him off of her. She was struggling. She was fighting. She wanted to just get up and get away from him, but she was still really groggy from these three sleeping pills he had forced her to take the night before. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's still really early in the morning, so it's probably not even been 12 hours yet since she took those. And I don't know about you, but if I take sleeping pills, I'm super groggy all the next day. And imagine taking three of them. The whole next day. And he's, he beat her up. She's also been beat up. So she's already not going to feel totally there mentally. Exactly. You would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's just, I'm sure she's completely out of her element and really feels probably very surreal. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe this is really happening. Yep. Brad pulled a knife out of the backpack and she asked him what the fuck he was doing. Yeah. He looked right at her silently, didn't respond to her questions. Remember this unnerving calm he has. And he just sliced the knife across her throat. Oh no. She was stunned. She started to put her hands up to protect herself, but he cut her throat again. And again, and again. On the fourth time, she could see blood spurting everywhere as her heart pumped. He had hit an artery. Oh, no. He was trying to make sure there was no way for her to save herself. He wanted to cause so much damage that it was a lost cause and she would definitely die. Yeah. Blood spurted critically from the wounds. And when she looked up at Brad, she saw that he looked as if he knew she was going to die. And with that, while Rachel lay on the ground with her life's blood pouring out of her neck wounds, Brad Peterson calmly got up and off of her, went into the house, and washed his hands. Oh, just so disturbed. That's, it's just gross. It's just that small detail that he just goes and washes his hands. That just makes it so disturbing. It is, because he's like, oh, well, I got to get this gunk off of me. Yeah. Oh, nasty. Don't want that on me. Yeah. Rachel used a lawn chair to get herself up off the ground. Her throat has been cut four times. It's spurting every time Mm. her heart beats. She's losing all this blood. Her trachea was cut, so it was making it not only difficult to get air, but there was also blood running into her airway. Yeah, Jesus. She stumbled into the house, spraying blood everywhere. Blood on the refrigerator, blood on the floor. The robe she'd had on was just soaked through. 
And then she realized that she really just needed a person. She wasn't going to be able to call because she couldn't really Mm. say what was wrong. So somehow she managed to go back outside, back out the gate, trying to get help. She was standing next to a tree, still holding her hand up at her neck, trying to hold the blood inside of her body. And as she was standing there, Brad walked outside. Rachel breathlessly asked him, what have you done? Yeah. He said nothing, climbed into her car and took off, confident that for all intents and purposes, he had killed her. Yeah. Rachel, after all of this, walked next door to her neighbor's house, banged on the door and waited at the door for her to come outside. That's, I can't believe, she's been slashed in the throat four times. And she's, yeah. Ugh. And she's still up and around. Yeah. She managed to sputter the words, my partner just slit my throat. And I'm sure it wasn't as easy to understand as what I just said. Mm -hmm. But the neighbor took a look at her, made her hold a towel pressed up to her neck, stop trying to talk, and just lie down. The neighbor then called the ambulance and Kaya, Rachel's daughter... When the ambulance arrived, the EMTs pulled back the towel to see the wounds and immediately know they really couldn't do much for her neck. So they just got her in the ambulance and took her as fast as they could to the Royal Perth Hospital. Once she arrived there, all she remembered was having a mask put over her face and then she was out. I don't know if you've ever had surgery, but that's exactly what it's like. Mm -hmm. They just stick it over your face and they say, count back from 10 and you go 10. Yep, and exactly. then doctors performed an emergency tracheotomy so that they could repair her trachea, which took three and a half hours of surgery. Brad had nicked Rachel's trachea, so it was leaking air, but he did miss her larynx. Doctors oh. said it was a miracle that he hadn't severed her vocal cords. Yeah, I was surprised as you were talking that she was able to say anything. I thought that that would have been done for. Wow. Exactly. Because her vocal cords were working, but she couldn't get a lot of air to Mm -hmm. go through them because of the hole in her her trachea. She had been able to hear air hissing through her neck wounds every time she tried to breathe. Wow. I mean, she's really critically injured. Yeah. When she awoke after her surgery, her daughter Kaya was at her bedside. Rachel wasn't able to speak. But Kaya said to her, Mom, there's been an accident. Hmm. Several hours after slicing Rachel's throat four times, Brad had posted on Facebook, quote, love is evil. He spelled it E-V-O-L. Oh, like love backwards. Yep. So love is evil. I showed you. Time to go now. Goodbye, <gasps> life. Then he had intentionally driven her car into two oncoming vehicles, a car and a truck, and he was instantly killed. Yeah, and probably hurting other people. No what? one else was killed in that crash, but Jeez. I'm sure they were injured and traumatized. What a dick until the end. Yeah. Rachel's reaction to the news was muted. She was in terrible pain from the surgery. She was still under medication. She couldn't speak. She couldn't eat or drink. She had come very close to never seeing her daughter, her son, or her granddaughter again. It felt all so surreal. Yeah. She thought to herself, quote, How could someone who said he wouldn't hurt you, that he loved you more than anything, slit your throat? Exactly. Rachel spent 10 days in the hospital, then went home. It was two months before the scars and swelling really started to heal. She wasn't able to yell or sing, but it did finally heal to where it felt normal again, and she could speak, and she could use her throat in the normal ways. Yeah. She, She had months of physical therapy, doctor appointments, and counseling. She had also had some pretty serious wounds on her hand and her arm. Mm. They were defensive wounds. And that was some of the physical therapy that she had to go to also. I forgot to mention that earlier. Wow. The emotional aspects of her recovery took longer than the physical. A year later, she was starting to deal with the loss, the PTSD, the fact that every time she looked in the mirror, she was confronted by the scars of what he had done to her. Oh my gosh. The scars given to her by a man she truly loved with all her heart. The scars sometimes make her wish she hadn't told him she was leaving him. She wonders whether that might have prevented the whole scenario from happening at all. But that wasn't a surefire solution either. There would have always been a next time. There would have always been the risk of escalation of the violence. There would have always been danger and irrational rage hanging over her every time he got his... She's blaming herself and it's she can't. She can't blame herself. Oh, that's so sad. Every time he became insecure, he would have done exactly the same violence he'd always done. Rachel still even sometimes misses him. She remembers the amazing hugs he gave. She remembers his beautiful smiles. She remembers the fun and laughter they shared together in the good times. She doesn't even hate him, despite all of her friends hating him enough for both of them. 
Rachel says that Brad was ill. She says he needed help that he never asked for, but that she tried to give him for years. She said, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Yep. I listened to a podcast called How I Survived, and I think there's one active now, but this is an older one that's not being produced anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it stopped in 2020, but I listened to Rachel's 2018 episode, which was her telling her own story in her own words. Oh. And her message for anybody who found themselves in a similar situation to hers, she shared this wisdom. Okay. They don't change. If it's been going on for years, they don't change. You need to get out. Don't tell them you're leaving. Just leave. I have learned that. Most women who say they're leaving are the ones that end up getting hurt the most or killed. Just leave. Just pack your stuff and go because you don't know. You just really don't know. I loved him more than anything. You know, sometimes we're not strong enough to leave because we don't want to be by ourselves. Sometimes we think we can't do it by ourselves or I'm not going to get anybody else. Or, you know, I need that person, but you don't. As hard as it is, you can do it by yourself. And you do realize you're worth a little bit more than being treated like shit, even if it's just words. I've got another Mm -hmm. chance to find somebody who is going to treat me nice and see what that's actually all about. And I want that. And to find me again. So I thought that was pretty telling after all she put into that relationship that she could see it that clearly at the end. Yeah, it's so powerful. Those words are so powerful. And it's it's so sad because you can't do anything about it now. She right. survived, but hopefully her story can help someone else. It's so hard because they won't change. That's the hardest part. They are sick and they're not going to change, but you shouldn't risk your safety because of someone else's illness. Right. And That's she so also hard. knows that telling them I'm breaking up with you is yeah. the most dangerous thing of all. Yep. Because if they have you alone in a place where their rage can come out and nobody's going to be there to witness it, then you really can put yourself in danger. She's like, just pack and go and don't let them know where you are 100 percent. there's no way she thought that it was going to go that far she could have never known of course not no one would no one should ever have to think it's going to go that far no one should have to find themselves in this situation but i almost feel like she's saying consider for one second that it might go further and get worse than you ever imagined that it might 100 percent Rachel was unable to work for two months after the attack on her. And because she was the financial support for her daughter and granddaughter, Rachel's sister Justine created a GoFundMe for her to raise enough money to buy Rachel a used car to replace the one that Brad had crashed during a suicide and help with transportation and car insurance and things like that. Mm -hmm. So her family rallied around her after this happened to her. And I think she's okay now. And I think she's found her way in the world. She's moved on with her life. It's only been six years. This only happened in 2017. But, you know, she's still a young woman. She can still find her place in the world. And I hope that she's happy. And I hope her family is healthy and happy and still as close as they were. Yeah. I hope that her family and her have rallied together. And I'm sure that they have. And I hope she's doing fine and that she did meet someone who treats her nice, even if it's just friends or a significant other. She deserves that. And Mm -hmm. if you if you don't have that, be like me and just stay by yourself because it's okay. It's okay. It is okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is Rachel Godsell's story. And I, I think she's such a badass. Imagine slice four times in the neck, your blood's spreading out, and you just lift yourself up with a lawn chair and walk to the next door neighbor's house and say, hey, I could use some help. Yeah, and then you said two months. That would take me 17 months to recover from something like that. I'm so dramatic. Two months? Well, the the emotional, I doubt she was over it in two months. In two months, of course. She struggled with it emotionally. And you can tell she's strong. She is strong, definitely. Yeah. She was strong to begin with. And that's why she knew from the very beginning that the way he was treating her was bullshit. Yep. She didn't appreciate that. She didn't think it was okay. But every single time, they know how to suck people back in after yeah. after they've done something that's wrong and just unacceptable. They just find a way to suck you back in again. Yep. So that is all I have today. Do you have any final words for our listeners out there, Carmen, the ones that might be hearing you for the first time? Yeah. My final words are remember to, what do I say in the end of my episodes? Remember to live, laugh, and never murder. (laughs) 
That's right. Absolutely. Like Richie and Brad tried to do. No, you guys can find me on Instagram. I'm always posting stuff about true crime BNB and Beth does the same for me. Live, laugh, murder. And I just am so thankful that you had me on. I appreciate it. But I do have one question. Okay. Will you come on my show? I would love that. Uh, That would be so much fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. I hope that I don't know. I hope I don't know (laughs) whether... I'll have to find something really obscure for you. <laughs> awesome. Or really well, obvious. If it's pop culture, yeah. I won't know anything about it because I'm a pop culture black hole. I know nothing about it. <laughs> you guys in the Perfect. group, in our little chat, you, you'll talk about rappers and pop music people. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea what you mean. And then you're like, it's on TikTok. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm What's not on TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, so, boy. That would be a lot of fun. Awesome. We'll set that up then. All right. So are you anywhere except Instagram or only Instagram? Just Instagram. Instagram. Oh, I do have a TikTok, but it sucks. You, you can search me on there. Live, Laugh, Murder podcast has a TikTok as well, but could, you know, at your own risk. <laughs> but our main social media platform is Instagram. And then we're on all the major listening platforms. And if you have a platform you like and we're not there, email me or DM me and I'll try to set it up. But not Stitcher because they're ending at the end of August. <laughs> yeah, right. Not Stitcher. That was one of our big ones too. Well, Why Carmen, not? thank you so much for being here today. It's nice to see yeah. you face to face, sort of. Yeah, you know. after a year. <laughs> I've seen your pictures and I've seen your videos and stuff, but a little hangout, a little hangout session. So everybody go stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to Carmen on Live, Laugh, Murder before you forget. And we will see you in a couple weeks for the next episode. Thank you, Carmen. Guys, thank you. Bye. Oh, you're ready for me to take it away? Nope. Well, my kid probably wouldn't answer if it was Christmas. She'd be like, Mom, I'm sleeping all day. Just leave me alone. Don't bother me. Oh, I lost my place for a second. I do so when every the time. I know. So now what's so, the explanation for this? It's weird. And H- hang on. I think that he knows a, he's not making sense, that he can't articulate Should his I thoughts. Pause? So it gets him real agitated and frustrated. You can kind of see it as he's talking, Ryan. So finally, finally in the YouTube frozen. video. Okay, so I lost you about. I did too. The internet just glitched. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So- mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. And you heard me say that he was agitated. I don't remember about agitated, but I was becoming agitated on my end. So. <laughs> but the internet is foul. The internet is foul. Oh, sorry. Lola's barking. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, good. We have two critters today. <laughs> there was a delivery, so of course Lola, our dog, freaks out. <laughs> Well, somebody's got to protect the perimeter. <laughs> yeah, she's protecting the house from fucking Brad, <laughs> this guy. Jeez. Yeah, nobody needs a Brad. I'm going to dream <clears throat> about it tonight. It was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, we call those nightmares. <laughs> you can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I need to get my ductwork clean because my house makes me cough. Oh. And always when I talk, I start coughing. Good thing you don't have a thing where you have to talk for an hour at a time. <laughs> help, help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chad or Chad. Well, I don't normally cover serial killers, but if you got an architect that's a serial killer, I almost have to cover that. It is. Well, we always said we were going to do that with Courtney, but we never got around to it. I know. Well, there's still Next time. Next time we should have Courtney on too. <laughs> How fun would that be? None of us would let each other get a word in probably. <laughs> Three of us. <laughs> and we would have to definitely have wine during that recording session. <laughs> 100%. Well, you know what I got to go do now? I have to go get the bird out of the fucking bathroom. <laughs> oh my God. Did you have to lock Blue in a, a closet yeah. for me? Yes. Like a little portable cage. It's very small. And I put her in the outside bathroom. She's fine. It's my karma. (laughs) You're a bird magnet. (laughs) Perfect.